The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, and on the next two episodes, we have a live Q&A that Jason and I recorded at a Wednesday night Bible study at our church. We also invited Pastor Hyde to join in the conversation and answer some questions. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. So the way it's going to work tonight is I I will kind of be acting as host and uh, we give all the hard questions to Pastor Hyke. Um And then whatever other ones, we'll just, the softballs, we'll give to Rod. No, we won't do that. All right. So I, I've categorized some of these questions based on uh, what we received. And uh, at some point, if uh, we need to, we may be asking you to add some questions. If you're interested, there's a mic right there. You can see that. And you can go right up to the mic uh, and uh, ask your question once we, we call on you and acknowledge you. Uh, but before we do that, we have a number that have already come in. And so the first one is uh, going to be for Roger and Hyde, but we'll start with Roger. And this one <laughs> and this one is under the topic of theology. Uh, it's under the topic of theology. And, and Roger, the question is, what are some of the ramifications of having a low view of Scripture? What are some of the ramifications um, of having a low view of Scripture? So I'm going to assume that I understand uh, what the person means by a low view of Scripture, um, uh, since we can interpret that different ways. Um, But I would say if somebody's asking a low view of Scripture, uh, some of the ramifications of that is possibly not seeing or, or seeing Scripture as only useful for some things and not for others. For example... Uh, scripture can teach us uh, about how to uh, have eternal life, but is it sufficient for everything else in this life? So that's one ramification is the sufficiency of Scripture. Is it sufficient to, to give me wisdom for life, to address all the problems uh, that I face in life, to address everything we see in the world? Uh, could be one ramification, I think, from holding a low view of Scripture. I'll let Hike answer the fuller answer to that. <laughs> uh, the, there are two things that came to my mind immediately were having a low view of Scripture practically as a Christian would would mean you're not going into you're not going to the Word as much or as often or as the answer to our problems, and it, what it's going to do is you're basically not allowing, not using one of the most powerful means of grace, one of the most powerful tools God's given us to grow in our walk with Him, to grow in our relationship with Him, to grow in our joy in Him. Um, So you might end up with less joy as a Christian. You might end up turning to other quote-unquote false gods, uh, looking to other places for hope um, instead of God and His Word. And ultimately, because God speaks to us through His Word, it, it's it's what it's what He uses to communicate with us, along with prayer, of course. And um, it's like cutting off that input from God, 
And uh, so it stunts our spiritual growth. It also, uh, the other part of this I was thinking of from the other angle is it kind of, um, you know, we, when we become a Christian, we turn to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. But if, it's, if God speaks to us through his word, he also brings his lordship over us through his word. And so it's a very convenient way of getting rid of his lordship from our life. Uh, while saying we, we want Jesus as our Savior, but uh, uh, kind of malfunctioning the whole process so that he can't actually tell us to do something. Um, and so I think it, goes, it, it hurts uh, our spiritual growth and it um, malfunctions the process of him being Lord over our lives. And it looks like you guys hit on two of the topics with regard to the doctrine of Scripture that we've talked about in the past here, the sufficiency of Scripture and the authority of Scripture as well. So, yeah, very good. So those are some of the ramifications. I'm sure there are more. I want to turn now to actually kind of a related topic. It's an apologetics topic. Um, Roger, does faith in God nullify reason, logic, and rationality? Uh, as I was speaking about that, of, of putting those uh, or, or pitting logic or reason against Scripture, it, it, it's to separate us from our humanness and of understanding how God created us, as if having faith means we're not logical, we don't have any reason. And I think making that distinction is dangerous because it makes faith out to be something it's not. Um, because all people, all of us, are using logic and reason in our everyday lives. And we're also using it in our spiritual lives and how we think. So we can't say we're not thinking now because we have faith in God. Our faith actually has something behind it. There's a bedrock truth that we're thinking through um, when, we, when we think logically, when we're reasoning from Scripture. We're not just making arguments Outside of Scripture, we're actually using Scripture to make arguments. So, Would you say, Roger, that faith is reasonable? I would say yes, because everybody has faith. It's just what's the object of your faith. One either has faith in God, which that is the object of your faith, or you have faith in reason, or you have faith in humans. You have faith in something. You may not use the term, but everybody has it in something. It could even be faith in self. Like, I'm knowledgeable. I know what is true. So I, I think it is reasonable because all of us have it. We just are showing our cards and saying this is where our faith rests in. Yeah, so faith can be reasonable, but faith in ourselves would not be very reasonable. Mm -hmm. But faith in, in God is quite reasonable. Hike, uh, did you want to add anything to that? I, I was thinking without our, our faith in God, there would be no way to substantiate reason. Uh, in the sense that without the God of the Bible, there, you can't have logic and reason uh, because you need an absolute truth provider to have logic. If God didn't value logic, then logic wouldn't be something to value and, it wouldn't, and no one would care about being logical even. Um, so, so, so I think not only is faith reasonable, our faith grounds and is the very foundation of logic. And uh, we couldn't rightfully give a reason for why we have logic if it wasn't for the God of the Bible. Very good. We're going to turn to uh, 
a little different topic. We're going to turn to the topic of worship um, because we know Haig doesn't think about worship at all, ever, uh, does he? No. So, Haig, this is your question. Uh, it's, it's pretty practical. Um, and well, there's two parts to it. The first one, and we'll start with this one, is what makes a good worship song? As you're thinking about Something it. What, I think about it every day. Yeah, what makes a good worship song? Well, you got to start with, um, it's got to be true, right? And, uh, you know, the, the passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman comes to mind. And uh, he says that the Father expects, calls us to worship in spirit and in truth. Um, and uh, I think there specifically the truth is Jesus. Uh, and uh, so it's got to be true. There, first of all, there can't be anything untrue in the, in the song. Um, and second, uh, I, I, you know, I would, it's, it's not just a theological treatise, the song. What I've been learning lately even more, uh, this, this second point, I've, it's been slowly coming to me, is it's, if it's going to be a song, it, somehow it has to engage our emotions. That's what music is meant to do. And um, so... Uh, if there's truth about God, biblical truth, and it's engaging our emotions um, to, together, uh, it, it's, it should help us to worship our most worthy God. And uh, Roger, do you have anything to add to that? Do you have any thoughts on, on that? Uh, no, no, I thought to add to it, but just uh, the question of, as you're thinking of that uh, that last comment about, uh, engaging our emotions uh, when you're thinking of worship and thinking of the outward expression in different churches and different bodies or, or people have different expressions of worship how do you see the the engagement with the song is the necessity that you're outward expressingly your emotions or is there an inward worship of the heart to God you know unless you're you know yelling amen hallelujah and Clapping and jumping up and down, it's not real worship. No, just kidding. Uh, that's a great question. And uh, especially from, you know, in our, in our church background, we, we're not that expressive during worship, and I wish we were more expressive. I'm trying to lead us in that direction a little more, but uh, I think that it's definitely, the important thing is that our hearts are engaged. Um, but I, I think that should slowly start coming out in some ways, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, uh, or maybe the body sings, the <laughs> mouth sings. Uh, that's my uh, little addition there. Uh, so I think as we get excited, um, it should show in some way, but I wouldn't go around judging if it didn't. Uh, and uh, I would definitely not want to judge harshly if people were being more expressive, um, uh, especially when I don't know their heart. And uh, maybe... They, they're more expressive in worship than I am. Um, so I'd be careful on both extremes. Um, and, uh, but the important thing is that our heart is engaged and adoring God and um, just praising Him as we sing. That leads to another part of this question on, on worship uh, as well. What are we aiming for in mm -hmm. corporate worship? So not private worship when we're just on our own in, in word and prayer, but 
in corporate gathering together and worship, what's, what's the aim of corporate worship? Wow, that's a good question. Um, the difference when the difference between wor- you know singing a worship song on your own and singing it with the rest of the body, I think there's a strong level of uh, it's not just me and me and God. It's by my worship, by my singing, I'm also encouraging the people around me, mm-hmm. and they, especially the closer brothers and sisters in Christ that know me well, know what I'm going through, but they're seeing me sing to the Lord despite the difficulties in life and it's encouraging to them that hey uh, no matter what comes blessed be his name Um, so so there's this encouraging each other exhorting each other teaching each other uh, that goes on as we sing the songs together just like it says in Ephesians and Colossians uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you and exhort sing speak, teach one another. Uh, that's obviously a paraphrase. But, um, so yeah, that mutual edification and encouragement is so important. Roger, what would you say um, with regard to that question, how have you experienced or what have you experienced in corporate settings of worship that may be distinct from your kind of private time of worship? And maybe if you can think of a time that you were gathered with a, a greater number of people even worshiping, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that in my experience, I've come from a, a totally different uh, setting of worship uh, from previous churches where it was very expressive. It was the, the singing out really loud. It was the clapping. It was the expression. And, and, and you're all worshiping together the same Lord, focusing on him, encouraging one another, and then experiencing a, a, a more reserved expression of worship. And, and I think, I guess, in my own, in my own private time, uh, uh, the worship is the expression of, of our emotions. And there are times of, of real, raw emotions coming out, whether it's in celebration, just crying out to God, God, this is hard. Um, when you're even listening to music, so I, want, I listen to worship music during the week and, and engaging with, with the words and the expression in those words. Because there are different songs. Some are celebrating. Some are just trusting in, in a God when life doesn't make sense, right? There's different messages coming out of music that helps our inward uh, worship to connect to God. Well, we're going to move to a little bit of a different topic or back to apologetics, but a different question on it. Um, Roger, what do you think of mail-in ballots? <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the wrong... Wrong question. Sorry. What, what is the, the podcast? Okay, great. <laughs> what is what is the best apologetic methodology in your estimation? So you've thought through some different versions of apologetics. What would be the best apologetic methodology? All of them. <laughs> no, I, I thought of that question. It's such a judgment call, and, and it, you know, I, I think we all of us came from, or not all of us, but you guys went to a different seminary than I went to. And the seminary I went to taught presuppositional apologetics. That was the apologetic method that you wanted. Basically, the apologetic is everybody has a set of beliefs that they hold, whether they tell you them or not, and you're, you're trying to expose those beliefs somebody has and then convince them otherwise. 
And so you start with, hey, everybody believes something. Whether you believe the Bible is true or not, that's still a, a belief. There's the other uh, uh, apologetics, the evidential apologetics, where you're looking at evidence uh, for faith. You're looking at the reliability of Scripture. You're looking at prophecy. You're looking at the history. history and you're looking at different parts of, of evidence. Um, and then I think the third, I don't know if it would be a third category of classical apologetics. Um, and so there's different ways of going at it. And I, and I kind of jokingly say all because I don't want to pit one over the other to say this is the only way you could reach somebody because I think people are reached in different ways. And, and there's pros and cons to each one. There's helpful things and unhelpful things with each way of, of going about it. But I think that at the end of the day, the fact that we're able to defend Scripture uh, is what's important. So. And Haig, now that he gave a diplomatic answer, a safe answer. Now I can ruin everything. Now you can change it. Yeah, what's your thought on this? Well, I went to seminary that didn't teach presuppositional apologetics, and yet I still prefer presuppositional apologetics uh, over the other kinds. Uh, although I agree that the other kinds have helpful things, I'd want to try my best to even use the other ways presuppositionally. Uh, because I'm, I'm concerned that if we don't use presuppositional apologetics, I can't even say the word, um, we're giving away the argument before we even start. So what do I mean? By, by presuppositional apologetics, we mean, in, a, in one way of looking at it, we're, we're, we're talking as Christians, right? We're not trying to put ourselves on, on their level and talk as if we're coming from their angle, we're coming from our angle because we're convinced that it's right. And um, so if we, if we start from their angle, you know, we can give all these arguments for God, but they can say, well, there's no absolute truth. And that could destroy all the arguments we just gave uh, because that's one of their presuppositions, that there is no absolute truth, that we live in an irrational universe. So I think we have to start with Christian presuppositions there is absolute truth. Uh, and we can know it. And uh, based on that, we can build arguments. And we can say, hey, I know you don't agree with all of this, but consider these Christian arguments with me for a second. Consider these Christian propositions with me. Uh, consider that there is a holy God uh, who loves us and we're sinners, so he, he sent his son to save us from our sin. Explore it with me and... Uh, and, and see, see if it makes, see, see how much sense it does make. See how good it is. Um, and so I don't want to give away the conclusion just by starting off on their presuppositions. Uh, and that, that's why I would prefer presuppositional apologetics. So it's interesting uh, that Pastor Hayek said, hey, we, we use presuppositional, I mean, we use evidential arguments, but presuppositionally. Because I was speaking one time to a professor at the seminary that we went to, uh, who will remain nameless, but I asked him the question. I said, hey, what do you think about presuppositional apologetics? And his response was, it's a great evidentialist argument. So he said, I'll, I'll use it as an evidential argument as you're saying, hey, we'll use it presuppositionally. So uh, maybe, maybe Roger wasn't diplomatic. Uh, he was just saying, hey, this is, this is the way it is. Very good, guys. I'm going to push on here. And um, Roger, this question 
is for you with regard to the topic of evangelism, okay? Um, there's two questions that kind of came up with regard to evangelism. Uh, I'm going to start with one, and then I'll, if, depending on time, we'll go to the other one too. But it says, how can we engage family members or friends who are of a different religion? What are ways that we might be able to engage family or friends who are from a different religion? Um, I, I think you, your starting point, uh, whether they're religious or, or not religious, is that they're a person made in the image of God. And trying to talk with them on a level of, of that, of having that relationship with that person so you can get into the t- other topics. I've had fam- you know, I have family members who are, are Muslim, and we'll, you know, when I was uh, talking with them, it was interesting that eventually we did get into a lot of conversations about religion. And we got into uh, talking about salvation, talking about Christ. And, and I think that sometimes we overcomplicate things. We're trying to find strategies. What's the way to get in? How do I, you know, it, it's important to understand how to, how to evangelize, but to get caught up into the strategy rather than love the person and share Christ with them. You said eventually you got to these topics. Can you kind of parse that for us a little bit? How long in those relationships before things like that came up? Are we, you know, are we talking about in the same conversation the first time you meet them? Or what's the buildup to something like that? It's interesting because when, you know, each person is different. And I've had some family members want to jump right into it, want to talk about it. And then others who want to just jump and start attacking you. You know, you're one of those born-again people and, and go right at your throat. But it, it just naturally comes out. And I think, you know, sometimes that is because I went to seminary. So it's like, oh, well, what's all that all about kind of thing? And you, you naturally lead into those conversations. But I think every person's different. And that's how you have to treat people. They're different. And, and to, you know, keep, keep the gospel the main thing. And, and to love people and share truth with them. And while you're loving them, it might mean a long-term investment, right? Yeah. That it's not just this, you're not a project mm-hmm. for me. And once I finish with you, I'm going to move on. It's, I really love you. Mm-hmm. I care about you. I don't know. Heike, did you want to add to, to that conversation? You know, one of the things I remember from my world evangelism class was when you're engaging people from other religions, in that case, it was Muslims they were talking about it's really helpful to offer to pray for them. They have a religious background. They already most likely believe in prayer on some level. And so you offer to pray for them. First of all, that, that sh- shows them how much you care about them. And, and second, it kind of begins the conversation, like leaves it open to start talking about spiritual things uh, together. Um, so this is why we tried that at CSUN. We, we had a table that said, how can we pray for you mm-hmm. when we're doing outreach at, at CSUN? Uh, but that's, that's one way to break the ice, too, and just at, at the same time show love and open up the conversation about spiritual things. Yeah. And it's interesting always to think about the Apostle Paul in, in Athens mm-hmm. and how he was unafraid to even call them religious people. Right? Oh, hey, you're, you're religious. I could see how religious... You are. Let's talk about that and kind of a using something that they can hold on to themselves or already are holding on to. Well, with that in mind, then let's move to a different evangelism question. The, the question that was sent in, it says, what is a good way 
to evangelize to someone who is notorious for, quote, just trying new experiences. This individual believes that in order to know something, you must try it. They're free to change their mind later. So how can you evangelize someone who is just looking for a new experience, um, thinking, let me just try it because that's how you get to know something? Either one of you want to jump in on that? Right away, I would say, well, use that as an opportunity to say, hey, just come try Christianity with me. <laughs> Let's go through one of the Gospels together, try, see, see what Jesus has to say, and pray, pray, pray that as they try it, uh, Christ will work powerfully in their hearts and help them realize there is no other way. Jesus is the way. Um, so you're saying don't really be afraid of that person's mentality of I just want to try something and don't try and overthink it. Just show them Christ. Yeah, and use that approach to your benefit, to, to their benefit ultimately, uh, and say, come try Christianity with me. Uh, come check out Bible study. Uh, no one's forcing you to keep coming if you want, because the, the question said they'd like to, they, they want to be able to change their mind later. Um, so, so I would say that. Um, I had another thought, but I lost it, so if, if you want to chime in. Um, I think that I- if we hold our theology that it's not the will of man that is choosing to believe on their own apart from God's work in the heart, mm-hmm. that if God's working in the heart, that person's going to believe and believe and believe. It- it's not a, oh, I wonder if this will work out. Let me, let me see on a buffet of religious belief. Maybe this one will work out for my life or that one. If the Spirit of God opens up a person's heart, they're going to follow Christ. And so there's no worry about whether this person's going to think they're going to try something. You don't try Christianity. You trust and believe in it when the Spirit of God works in your heart and opens you up, and there's nothing stopping you at that point. Yeah, we're, we're always thinking, we're overthinking things. We're thinking about the results, and it, can it possibly end up in a good... Well, we're called to a certain faithfulness in presenting the gospel, loving them, and leaving those results to the Lord over the heart. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.